Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to be looking especially at verses 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 10, looking especially at verse 24 and 25. uh, You'll find an outline of what we're doing on the inside of these uh, handouts that you received as you came in. It might be helpful to have that with you as well. Let's begin our leaders in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that we can gather together as your people. Our Father, we pray that you help us now as we consider what it means. And to be your people gathered and what we can do and what, we, what you want us to do uh, as we do that. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Hebrews tells us how good we have it in Jesus. In chapter 1, we see that God, who spoke in the past by uh, the prophets at various times and various ways, has clearly, definitively, and finally spoken to us in His Son. The one who perfectly expresses Him. In chapter 2, we read about how this Son, Jesus, became human to taste death for each one of us. In chapter 3, we see how Jesus is far greater than Moses. The greatest prophet of the Old Testament. In chapter 4 and 5, he is our great high priest who represents us before God. In chapter 6 and 6 to 10, we, we read more about his priesthood. That he sacrificed himself once and for all. That he did what the blood of bulls and goats could never do. His own blood shed on the cross caused our sins to be forgiven. That once and for all sacrifice was made, so there is no longer any sacrifice left. And so, we get here to the second half of uh, of chapter 10. The writer to the Hebrews can tell us that we come before a holy God, a holy God, without fear. Verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places... By the blood of Jesus. We come before God with confidence. The holy places there refer to the places in the tabernacle where only the priests could enter. Back in the Old Testament. We read about some of that in in our Old Testament passage from Leviticus, didn't we? There was the holy place inside the first curtain. And then beyond that, deeper in, was the most holy place past the next curtain, the second one. And that most holy place in in ancient Israel, the the innermost part of the temple or the tabernacle, was where God dwelt among his people. So holy that that no one could go in except the high priest. And then only once a year and then after all these sacrifices and washings. Because the Old Testament teaches us that sinful people cannot approach a holy God. Can't do that. God will not tolerate The presence of sinful, defiled people. But look again what it says in verse 19. 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. How? By the blood of Jesus. We can have an intimate, confident, close relationship with the Holy God because of the blood of Jesus, because of the sacrificial death of Jesus on our behalf. Because He took our sins in our place. Because He was that once and for all sacrifice that that takes them away. And so we enter, verse 20, by the new and living way that He opened for us. Through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. Jesus is the way. Like the curtain in the temple that stands between the, the holy God on the inside and the sinful human beings on the outside, the curtain is between, between God and us. But this time the curtain is not to separate us, but to, but to connect us. Jesus is the connection. His flesh. And in verse 21, He is the great priest over the house of God. That's us. He is our great priest. He is the one who offered the sacrifice for us. He is the one who prays for us. He is the one who leads us, who belong to God's household, His family. And now because of all that, all these great things that God has given us in Christ, the writer of the Hebrews says in verse 22, Let us draw near with a, sin, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let's approach God. Let's come before Him in an intimate way with a heart that is true, a heart that is sincere. It's not just pretending to be religious, but that really does long to obey God. New covenant heart of which God's laws have been written. And let's do it in full assurance of faith. Let's do it with the certainty that comes from faith. Knowing that our sins really are forgiven. That God doesn't hold them against us anymore. That we are right with God. Through Jesus. For if the death of Jesus was enough to satisfy God the judge that our sins have been paid for, then we should allow it to satisfy our conscience as well, shouldn't we? And so as forgiven people, we come before God with confidence in verse 22. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I remember in the Old Testament, the high priest had to wash himself before entering God's presence. And we have been washed by God's Spirit, forgiven, cleansed, made holy and acceptable to Him. It's an incredible privilege. A relationship we have with God Himself that will last for all eternity. We have it so good if we belong to Jesus. And so the writer of the Hebrews says in verse 23, let's make sure we hang on to it. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. He will fulfill his promises. God is faithful. He will accept us in Jesus. God is faithful. He will bring us to glory in the end. And because God is faithful, then we at the same time must firmly hold on to this hope. See, the fact that God is faithful doesn't nullify our responsibility to be faithful as well. In fact, it says, we have to be faithful precisely because God is faithful. God will be faithful to His promises. 
both to bless and to curse. God is faithful to His promises, both for salvation and for judgment. He is faithful to His promises to keep and protect those who are truly His. But one of the ways He uses to keep and protect those who are truly His is by warning us about what would happen if we're not faithful. So skip down with me to verse 26 onwards. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. It's pretty scary, isn't it? When the day of judgment comes, we don't want to be on the wrong side of God. The God whom we have free access to in Jesus... The God who loves us and accepts us in His Son. The God who has forgiven us and cleansed us. He is not a God to be trifled with. We can't play games with Him. If we turn away from Him, if we fall away from His Son, we are lost. There is no other sacrifice for sin left. And we will face the wrath of a holy God without Jesus, without the cross, without forgiveness. And that is a dreadful thing indeed. And so in verse 32 to 34, the writer of the Hebrews calls on his readers to remember how faithful they've been in the past and just to keep on hanging on. He says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. These guys had sacrificed so much already. How tragic would it be if they gave up now? The writer of the Hebrews says, stick with it. Don't give up. Persevere. It's only if you persevere that you will receive what is promised. In Jesus you've got it so good. And to face eternity without him would be so horrific. If you just hang in there. Your faith and your confidence in Him will pay off in the end. Even though it means suffering now. Don't play games with it. Don't take risk with it. Don't lose it. This is the most important thing in the whole world. Now, in between verses 19 to 23, which urge us to press on by telling us how good it is to be one of God's people and verse 26 onwards 
which warn us of the consequences if we don't endure, we have verse 24 and 25, which we're looking at this morning. And you see, brothers and sisters, what verses 24 and 25 do is tell us one big thing that the Lord gives us to help us to endure. To help us keep faithful. And brothers and sisters, that one big thing that God gives us to enable us, to help us, to encourage us, to to press on, is each other. And we need to keep on meeting together, not just to help us trust in Jesus and keep on trusting in Jesus, but to help each other. Listen to verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now let's think about this two verses together. Firstly, there's something here the writer wants us to consider, isn't there? He wants us to consider, verse 24, how to stir each other on to love and good deeds. See, God wants us to, to consider, to, he wants us to, to think proactively about how we, can, how we can stir each other up, how we can spur each other on in this way. See, being involved with each other, it's not just a passive thing. Ministry is not something that, you know, pastor and cell group leaders and the apprentices and all that are involved and the rest of us all sit back. No, no, no. We're all involved. We all sort of start thinking. Be proactive. What are we to consider? Consider how we may stir up one another to love and good deeds. Now, stir up one another literally is provoke each other. Right? We know what it's like to provoke each other to anger, don't we? Right? Or we say something, or we do something that we know is going to push someone's buttons. Right? And because we're annoyed with them for something, and sure enough, palm, they blow up. Right? And we provoke them. Now, that's not what we're meant to contemplate doing. We're to contemplate how we are to provoke each other to love and good deeds. See, how can I help my brother or my sister love? How can I help my brother or my sister do good? In other words, how can I encourage, how can I provoke, how can I spur my brothers and sisters to live godly lives? Lives of good deeds. Lives that serve God. How can I encourage you? How can you encourage me? How can we all encourage each other to, to, to love God and to love our neighbor and to do good to all, especially those of the household of faith? How, how can we encourage each other, one by one, to live a kind of life that pleases God? Well, that's something for us to consider and to keep considering. And something we need to consider whenever we meet as part of God's people. Think about the people that you're sitting with. How can I spur these people on to love and good deeds? But think about it. That's what Hebrews tells us. Now, it's very hard to spur each other on if we don't meet together. 
I suppose you could do it on Skype or something like that. Right? But the writer of the Hebrews says in verse 25, Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. See, it looks like some of the people from the church that this was written to had stopped coming to church. Maybe it was because of persecution. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe it was because of Jewish influence. They might have been drawn back to the old religion, which might explain why Hebrews keeps on showing how Christ is superior uh, to, the, uh, to Moses and to the priests and the tabernacles and all that. Maybe it was both. I doubt it was a mundane excuse of, you know, too busy la. Right? Because we've all got 24 hours a day and it's a question of priorities. That's our priority. Is it to encourage our brothers and sisters in light of eternity? Or is it to take the next step on our career path? Or what about the other one? Too hard to get up in the morning because of computer games. Or going out Saturday night. What's our priority? We see, we can get to work at 9am, some of us 8am, some of us even earlier, on Monday morning for our boss. We can get to church by 10.30 some of us a bit earlier, for our brothers and sisters, can't we? On Sundays. See, what's Jesus going to ask us on the Day of Judgment? He's not going to say, how much money have you earned, or how high did you get in your company, and he's certainly not going to ask us, what's your highest score on your favorite computer game? He's going to ask us if you kept on trusting him. He's going to ask, have we kept our, helped our brothers and sisters keep trusting him? Now, of course, there are reasons people can't come to church. Don't deny that. Everyone's going to have to miss a week or two here, there. Sometimes we got sick. You know, sometimes church has to come to people uh, because of that. But for most of us, most of the time, that's not the case. And we never ask ourselves, shall I eat today? Unless there are very unusual circumstances that cause us to have to make a decision about it. It's it's a silly question for a healthy human being, isn't it? And if we have a job, we don't get up on Monday morning and say, Oh, shall I go to work today? What do you feel like going to work? That would be a very unusual question to ask, except, for example, if you're sick. Of course you've got to go to work. It's not a question. It's your job. And the same thing with church on Sundays. We don't, shall I go to church on Sunday? It's a silly question for the Christian. Of course we've got to be at church. That's, that's, that's our job. See, someone says, hey, come play golf with me on Wednesday morning. You say, well, sorry, you know, I've got to work. If someone says, hey, come play golf with me on Sunday morning. You say, oh, sorry, I'm at church. Meeting God's people is a priority. It goes straight in the diary or the PDA or whatever it is before anything else and comes out only in exceptional circumstances. The writer of the Hebrew says, do not give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Instead, verse 25, encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, one big reason we are here is to encourage each other, to help each other, to press on, 
to love and good deeds. To help each other persevere in trusting in Jesus. Uh, the illustration, a famous illustration, is like wood in the fire. Now, if you've got a fire and you take out a piece of wood from the fire, then chances are that wood by itself will stop burning. You put it back in the fire and the heat from the other burning wood helps it and all the bits of burning wood help together keep the, keep the fire going. And we are like wood in the fire. By ourselves, the danger is very real that we will stop burning. We need to stay in the fire with the rest of the wood so that our fire will burn brightly. And not only that, it will help the rest of the wood as well. Now, mind you, this is not legalism. All right? Not saying, unless you're in church seven Sundays out of eight, then you're not a true Christian, or you won't be saved, or anything like that. But every day, we are confronted with a world that has very different values, very different ideas than what we profess as God's people. Every day we live and we work in places which do not have God's kingdom and God's glory as their priority. And every day we are confronted with a media that tells us essentially to be selfish. And every day we are influenced by people who are either openly or covertly hostile to God. It's right that we should be in the world, that's where God has sent us. And yet it's a dangerous place, spiritually. God does not send us alone as Lone Ranger Christians. He never intended that we should do it alone. He has given us a support network to help us be faithful in the midst of those kind of situations. He's provided us with each other. I need you, you need me, we all need each other. We are God's gift to each other to help each other be strong. And so, Hebrews says, don't stop meeting together. But encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. The day of judgment will come when Jesus returns to wind up history. And on that day we won't have to persevere anymore because those who trusted in Jesus to the end will be with him in glory. But for those who have fallen away, there's only the fearful expectation of wrath. See, that day, that is a serious consideration. Coming to the meetings won't bring us salvation. It comes through trusting in Jesus. I'm sure you don't think going to church will save you. If you do, then you haven't understood the gospel yet. Because the gospel tells us that it's nothing that we can do to save ourselves from, from death and hell. We're saved by trusting in Jesus and what he has done, his death to save us. But let me say, it's going to be pretty hard to trust Jesus all the way to the end of your life if you neglect the very thing that he gave you to help you to do it. And every week you skip makes it just that little bit easier to skip next week. And keep skipping long enough and you'll lose the habit. Lose the habit of meeting with God's people and you're in danger of slipping away from Him. Doesn't have to be the case. You may keep on persevering. But don't gamble with that. Don't gamble with your soul. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. But there's more to it, isn't there? Remember, we don't just come to church for our own walk with God. 
but for our brothers and sisters as well. Will you consider how we stir one another on to love and good deeds? We don't neglect to meet together. We encourage one another as we see the day approaching. Let's listen to this. When we don't meet with God's people, when we don't come to church, we are not just denying ourselves the opportunity to be encouraged by others, we are denying our brothers and sisters the opportunity to be encouraged by us. We are failing our brothers and sisters. See, one of the reasons why I think Christians neglect to meet each other is sometimes we we're confused about the nature of church. Some people think going to church is like going to the cinema. Okay? You want to go, you go, you don't feel like going, you've got something else to do, that's okay. Or because if you go, you see, it doesn't really matter to anyone else. You go, you enjoy the show. Even if you go with friends, you just enjoy the show. And then you go home. And if the show wasn't exciting enough or doesn't cause you to think or feel the way you like to have your thoughts or emotions moved in the cinema, then you'd think twice before going to another show with the same director or cast. You don't have to do anything when you go in except pay for your ticket. Unless, of course, you work for the cinema. (laughs) It's a different story. But you just go and enjoy it and then you go home. Friends, coming to church is not like going to the cinema. You go to the cinema to be entertained. You come to church to work. You come here to encourage your brothers and sisters, to spur them on to love and good deeds. And the work you do when you meet with God's people, that might be the most important work you do all week. Because that's a work that will last for eternity. Remember, encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. So if you ask people, you say, oh, why do you go to church? Chances are people will say to worship God. Now that's true in a way, except that we do worship God with all of our lives, don't we? Not just at church. Our entire lives are meant to be acts of worship to God. And so, whether we're at home, or at work, in the car, whether at school, or at college, all of that is worship to God. Now, Paul writes to the Romans, he says, In view of God's mercy, offer your lives as a, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In fact, if you go through the New Testament, interestingly enough, if you go through the New Testament, it never uses worship language directly for this, this kind of gathering. But, since gathering together like this is part of all of our lives, and our whole life is caught up with worship, then we must be worshipping when we come together. We don't stop worshipping when we come to church. But when we come together, we come to worship together. And we worship God not just in the singing, but in the hearing of God's word. And we worship not just in the hearing of God's word, but in the obeying of it. And we worship by using his gifts to build up the body. So, part of your worship may be setting up the chairs, turning on the projector, talking to people, handing out Bibles, meeting new people, making them feel comfortable and welcome. And after our formal time together, part of your worship of God is 
helping with the tea and coffee, talking to each other, finding out each other's needs, praying for each other, supporting each other. If I do feel free to do that, please do that. You know, sit down. You say, how can I pray for you? And sit down and pray for each other after church. If you're able to relate to children, part of your worship of God is looking after the creche. See, Joyce is worshiping God in there. We worship God by ushering and welcoming and chatting and playing music and singing to God and to each other and contributing money so the ministry can go on, organizing people to go out for lunch so we can build relationships with each other. All the things, all of that is, is part of worship. In the Old Testament, people would worship God by offering sacrifices, but as far as sacrifice for sins concerns, Jesus done it once and for all. There are other sacrifices as well. Sacrifices of thanksgiving. Different from sin sacrifices, but because they were for, for thanks and for praise. And, and so Hebrews goes on to say, in Hebrews chapter 13, Through him let us continue to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. See, our sacrifice of praise now, since Jesus has come, is the fruit of lips that acknowledge is telling others about him. Acknowledging him. And so we worship God by speaking about him to other people. Our worshipping of God is how we treat each other. Uh, the next verse in Hebrews 13. Uh, through, Je- through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit that confess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So, do we come to church to worship God? Yes. When we come together, the fundamental part of our worship of God is how we treat each other, isn't it? Our encouraging and speaking to each other. And we don't just worship God here, we worship God all of our lives. We go home to worship God as well afterwards. Do we just come to church to hear God's word and respond to him in prayer? And sing to him? Well, yes, that's right, but there's more to it, isn't it? See, if I just come to church to sing and pray... Just, just me and God. You know, sometimes people would like to say that. Come to church, just me and God. Talk to God. Hear from God. That's it. Right? But I can do that at home. I'll tell you what. I can even choose whatever songs I like to sing at home. And if I don't like my own voice, I can put on a CD. Sing to God. That's a good thing to do. I don't need to come to church to do it. And I can come to church and hear God's word. I mean, I've got a Bible. I can read it at home, can't I? And if I want to hear it taught, I can, I can download podcasts of great preachers. Hey, much better preaching than you get here. Reading, hearing God's word at home, what a good thing to do. But you don't have to come to church for that. But we come to church because in church we are doing it together. We do them firstly because God has given us each other to encourage us to build us to build each other up to keep each other faithful to the end to help each other grow spiritually in the likeness of Christ we have a responsibility to each other we can pray and read the Bible ourselves at home and so we should but doing that does not fulfill our responsibilities to each other and yes we come here for God and we come here because God has gathered us to support and encourage each other. 
And so we hear God's word together. And as we speak God's word to each other, and we listen to him together, then we are built up by him together. Even our prayers are not just personal, private ones between us and God. Even our prayers are meant to have the benefit of building each other up. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, we shouldn't pray in unknown languages in church without an interpretation. Because if no one understands what we're praying, we, they won't be built up. And church is for building up the body. If you want to pray in other languages, pray at home. So even our prayers, everything is to build up each other. And what about our singing? Same thing as well. Some of our singing is addressing God, and those are prayers, just like the other prayers. Other songs are actually addressing each other, and we're speaking to each other. Teaching each other biblical truths. Encouraging each other to love and good deeds as we, as we sing to each other. Uh, Ephesians 5 tells us that we're singing both to God and each other. Uh, it, says, it talks addressing each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Giving thanks always to everything to God in the name of our Lord Jesus. Now what about the Lord's Supper? That's something we never do alone, is it? We can't do it alone because it's a fellowship meal. It not only causes us to remember the death of Jesus, but it's not just a, me, I remember the death of Jesus, but doing it together symbolizes our unity in his body. And as we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're not just eating and drinking to remember Jesus ourselves, we are proclaiming his death until he comes again. Proclaiming to who? To each other. See, everything we do together is meant to be to build and encourage one another. And that's why, friends, it's so important to come to church with the right attitude. The right attitude is not, leave me alone so I can worship God by myself. It's, how can I encourage? How can I be encouraged to love and good deeds? Not, what can I get out of this? But, how can I serve? How can I play my part in encouraging my brothers and sisters to keep on going to the end? How can I serve God by serving His people? That's why we encourage people to stay around and talk to each other, build relationships as we do. So why do we come to church? Why do we meet together? Not to have a private engagement with God. Not to be entertained. But to encourage. And to be encouraged. And so we... And when we come, we meet God in His Word. We respond to Him in prayer and in serving. We do it all together. So that together we are built up to maturity in Christ. And together we serve him faithfully until he comes again. There's one more thing. One other reason we church. Nothing beats gathering together. Because gathering together around God's word is a foretaste. In fact an expression even of the great gathering in heaven. See that gathering in heaven is something that we're part of spiritually now but we will be part of totally when Jesus returns. The gathering that the writer of the Hebrews writes about in Hebrews 12 when he says, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. That's the church word, by the way, assembly. 
and to God, the judge of all, the spirits of righteousness made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, that, that's a gathering. That's a church. That's a getting together of God's people. That's a heavenly church. From all, of all God's people from all time. And in writing the Hebrew says, we have come to that gathering. We belong to that. And every time we gather here, we are an expression of that gathering. Wherever we gather locally in the name of the Lord Jesus, we express that heavenly gathering that meets around His throne. And so by our very active meeting, we encourage each other to press on to that day where that, which is now a spiritual reality, comes into its fullness. Now, we've been talking about meeting together, and I've mainly talked about church on Sunday mornings. And that's the main time we meet together. I think it's a very important time that we meet together. But it's not the only time, is it? We meet in cell groups during the week, and meet each other one on one to read the Bible and pray. Some families meet together to read the Bible and pray together. Now, think about that with me. Now, we all know that church is not the building. It's the gathering, the assembly of God's people. That's what the word in the Greek, ecclesia, means. It's translated church. It just means group of people together. So we know it doesn't matter whether we meet in a a beautiful cathedral, a very nice, uh, good-looking hall, or in someone's house, or horror of horrors, where we started, the club card room with a bar at the back and a Carlsberg slide flashing there. Remember that? Right, for those of you who are relatively new, that's, that's where we started. See, the church is the people. It's not the place. It's the people where God's Spirit dwells. The house of God is not a building. It's a people. And friends, wherever people meet in the name of Jesus, around God's Word, that He is with us by His Spirit. Just as he promised. Even when there's only two or three. And so the meeting together, the writer of the Hebrews is talking about here, is not just, not just church on Sunday morning, but church wherever. And whenever we do church. Whenever we gather around Jesus in his word. Right? We've got to think more widely. Think of your soul groups. Where you meet to encourage each other around his word. Right? You... You might even be able to encourage each other better there than you do here because you're able to build relationships better. Speak the word and love in those relationships. So don't neglect them. Not everyone's got to be in a cell group. There's no law about that. We've got enormous flexibility in in how we encourage each other. You can meet each other one-on-one for coffee or tea or lunch or read the Bible together and pray together for half an hour in your lunch hour. Doesn't have to be a big thing. Just ask another Christian. You want to get together? Have you got what materials? I can show you some. You don't have to do it that way. That's just one idea. So many ways you can do it. Right? Some of you are involved in Sunday school or, or youth or Bible studies in, uh, in colleges or universities, uh, work groups, whatever. As long, what, we, what we need to do is just keep on working out how we can meet with God's people and how we can encourage each other uh, to press on as the day approaches. So why do we meet? We encourage each other. We help each other. To respond to God together. Respond to God 
as we build up to maturity in Christ so that we can serve him faithfully together until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for each other. We thank you for giving us each other that we might encourage each other and support each other and help each other press on in love and good deeds as the day approaches when the Lord Jesus returns. Our Father, we pray that you help us, first of all, to be faithful to you. Enable us to keep trusting in the Lord Jesus. Help us to realize again and again how good we've got it in him. And help us to take warning of the danger it is that we neglect him. And help us be faithful to each other. Help us to work out how we can encourage and support each other. How we can build relationships of love and trust with each other. So that we can help each other press on. I want to thank you for each person here today. I guess by the very act of being here, that's, that's an encouragement to, to each other. We pray that you'd show us ways where we can grow more and more in that. Being thinking proactively about how we can spur each other on, how we can stir each other and provoke each other to do good. And Father, we pray uh, for those of our friends, uh, people in our community who are, I guess, not uh, or no longer in the habit of, of meeting with us. Uh, we pray that, that you would draw them back. And we pray that you help us as we seek to uh, help them and encourage them. Uh, to, to come back and be part of, of uh, what you're doing here. Father, we pray that uh, you help us to be faithful, not to be legalistic, uh, but to have hearts that really do want to help each other, encourage each other. We ask the Lord in Jesus' name.